Welcome to the Second Chance Podcast, where we explore the deeper inner of the human psyche, find new ways to reinvent and invent ourselves for the better, for the wiser, for the more rational, and the happier and more contented. The male and female contested area in our social trend. But it's deeper than that. It's not a social trend. It's a existential question of the boundaries of the body. And really the the essence of the human being, right? There's this meta question, this question that's deeper than the surface question that we are deeply troubled by, which is what what is the the boundaries of the human being in the in the sense of the body. But deeper than that, when you're asking for boundaries, you're also asking for what's inside the boundaries. Meaning the the house and then the, the fence, right? So if you're asking about the fence, you're also asking what the fence encloses. And this question is not necessarily solvable because there's the ambiguity of of the, the the notion itself, and it's it's always going to lead to another question. So I think the the right path towards such an existential question of of what's the fabric of the human being is the path there is is an acceptance of of the status quo. Because we need functionality in life and we can't live in the existential question. For the more dramatic personality types, the ones more sensitive and, and soul-oriented, this is a troubled area because in one sense they want to they want to deeply be involved in the existential questions of life as those are the pertaining value structures that everything emanates from. So for them, this is, this is the highest regard of, 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 of human subtlety, right? The, the highest is the, is the questions of the fabric of, of existence. But at the same time, they, they need a, they need a act and behold us uh, an already answerable persona of life as if they have the answers to those questions, right? You could have, let's say, you wake up in the morning and right, you have an existential question about how empty human life is fundamentally and this evolving, um, you know, growth towards the towards death towards towards that emptiness and even even the the name even the name of of who a person is becomes um, dissolved into the into the emptiness of of the universe the famous ones maybe will go a thousand but at some point there's there's the forgotten and everything just falls away and gets scattered across the earth so these deep existential questions, I don't, I don't want to bring out those questions for you, but 
there's those that wake up like this. And they can spend the entire day in this question, and in fact, the entire life, because it's it's unanswerable. There's 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 meaning to find in that question, but in reality, there's nothing that that will like will just give us a, a clear answer to work with that that doesn't involve more questioning. So. At some point in their day, right, they're waking up with this question. At some point in the day, they have to get on with their life, right? Get on, move on, right? There's this, and, and what does that mean experientially? What does that mean in their in their mind, in their psyche? It means that, okay, I have this question. I got this question about life and the fabric of existence. But now I'm going to take on the, the notion that that question is already answered. And although I don't have the answer for it, I'm going to act like I have the answer for it. And the reason being because although that's the highest regard of value, other areas of life need tending to. And the more sensitive a person is, the more trouble they are because they can't really answer that either because, well, this is the super value. Whatever value you're going to give me, whether it's survival, well, why should I survive? If, if I don't have the answer of why I exist. So survival, like water and bread, like essentials even, even are not administered the value that, that such existential questions have. So the healthy ones will understand that they need to act like they have the answers, even though they don't. And although this seems like... Uh, a fable approach to life. In fact, it's it's actually the most in, in, the most integrity is in the in the lie because they need to lie to live. Now that's another discussion. When when is lying actually lying, and when is lying a holy notion like this example? And it's not really a lie. It's 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 a, it's a humility that I'm not going to get the answer. Therefore, I need to act like I have the answer till, till I have the emotional and physical capacity to revisit this question. So that being said, discussing the problematic nature of those that are more sensitive to the experience of being, we can we can come back to the. The question that we started with, which is how to how to have the how to approach these 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 questions that we have in life at the same time become a a functioning human being. So as we discussed the there there needs to be a, a form of acting where we need to act out a, a certain, you know, confidence of, of being, even though we'll always be troubled by those questions. And then, then there's the revisitation of, of those questions because to avoid those questions are also a problem, right? The, the overly confident types, right, where they're, Life is as they see, and they can grab however they want and move 
with stride and, and perfection and as if they have those answers. And the, some of us, when we meet such people, we're like, we were taken aback by the sheer beauty, you know, quote unquote, the beauty of such a, such a person because they, they've made it in our minds. They've, they've answered those questions so well that they could just stride through life with such power and persona that nothing will, nothing stops them. But in fact, obviously they're, they're acting because you can't answer these questions. So it's always an act. So their confidence is, is fake. But as we discussed, all confidence is fake because we don't, we don't have it figured out and we can never have it figured out. So by default, all confidence is fake. Although my argument is that some, some confidence is good because we need to act as if we know in order to, to take care of the lower values of our being that don't delve into the existential questions. So that's where, that's where the humility pride balance comes in where, there's, there's there's times for humility and times for pridefulness. And the times of humility is to come back and and, and recognize the infallible nature of, of the universe and the impossibility of, of truly getting the answers we need. Or the pridefulness, like as if we have those answers. Now... I know there will be a tendency out there of those to say that pridefulness is always evil and ever having the confidence is is just a lie upon lies. But since we don't know anything, whatever we say is is somewhat of a lie, right? If you want to really delve into the idea of lying, then we we literally cannot function in our universe because there's so many assumptions that we didn't make and so many um so many uh so many um choices that are are bound to this dubious notion that we don't know yet we act like we know you know we're we don't know if opening this door will lead to the wrong place yet yet we're going to act like we're going to the right place Right? We don't know if going, taking that road is, is the best road to take. In fact, it could be the worst road to take, but we will act like it's the best road to take. If we don't do that, then we'll, we'll never be able to make a decision because we'll always, we're always not sure. And if we act like we're always not sure, then we're never going to be able to take a path without like turning left or right as we go along because of our our movements back and forth towards the towards the impossibility of knowing the the, the tr true practical perfect direction. So we act out a certain level of lying, and that's good. But the act is only there for a certain function of life, and then there's there's the retrieving back to the essential the meta-essential, the biggest, the most essential, where there's no room to act because we're, we're ready to talk about 
the questions at hand. We're ready to have that dialogue with ourselves, even though it will probably lead to certain forms of depression or sadness. Because as I said, there's no answer. So just delving into these questions is, is in itself going to lead to sadness, especially if we're deeply involved emotionally in such questions. Although getting a deeper sense in those questions will enhance every part of our lives because our entire lives are built off our existence. For example, right? Every day you uh, stop off at a gas station, right? And you get a cup of coffee. You pay $2 for the coffee, you leave and you go on your way, right? Whatever your structure of day is, that's what you do, right? And then one night you're battling these existential questions and you're finding a new meaning and, and there's some sort of light that comes through it where you you find that life is is in the choice of existence, right? That's a beautiful thought, right? It's not whether we exist or not or why we exist or not, but in the choice to exist, right? And there's millions of paths of meaning and existential dilemmas, right? And then you have that. Now you sleep on that. And then you wake up the next morning and you go get that coffee at the gas station. Every movement towards that gas station, getting the coffee and leaving, will have the oomph of choosing to exist so much that the taste of the coffee will taste different because there's an existence of you that chose to exist and recognize that choosing to exist is almost as important as understanding why we exist. And the, the coffee will be feeding that as opposed to feeding something that was different before you've, you've come to this light. So the taste of the coffee will be different. The interaction with that person will be different. They will sense something different about you because you're offering an aura of, of, of the choice to exist and so on. So the entire, even though there's there's something simple and mundane as getting a coffee at the gas station, entire flow of energy will will be impacted by by such a meta value developed because anything that's based on anything that's understood based on our existence will impact every experience of existence because the experience is only on that that you exist. So even if you're not consciously aware of it, it will affect it and eventually, and it'll even affect your decision making, right? If you're, you're choosing between two roads now, you're leaving, leaving the gas station, now you have two roads to take. One maybe will have more traffic, one will have less and so on and so forth. You might have an, an entirely new picture landscape upon making such a decision based on this, this new notion because your existence has to live through that decision. And therefore, once you've understood your existence differently, everything will flow differently on that path that, that you'll choose. And that and therefore, the choice itself will, will... But then getting out of the existential crisis, as we like to call it, moving from that 
into life, practicality, as we discussed, requires a certain form of acting. Well, if you found deep meaning in the existential dilemma, then it itself might lead you out. And that's the ideal situation. But if you're deeply committed to the existential dilemma, then you'll be, whatever light you'll find will, will, will be dragged back down to the hellhole of, of that darkness. And there are times where getting out is as simple as finding light in that and finding a deeper meaning or notion to existence. But then there are times where life is so ugly and your experience of that deadness is so dramatic that what's required is is an acting and taking on a persona identification of being that's it's not been it's not being expressed from the the core self but rather i am like for example those who work diligently every day from a structured time i am the worker so i i need to work and i'm required to work and so on where they're taking on a persona that will that will grab them and then bring them into a realm of confidence and possible success as they delve into the more mundane of life. Um, there is another discussion to be had, and that is in the battle, in the dilemma of existential, right, the questions of being itself or of life, there can be an expression of personal questions, right? Like when we're questioning our being, right, where it's very personalized because it's, it's how we've experienced life. So those who have got to such a dark place in life where such, such questions were mandatory, they, they demanded our psyche. What is it? What are we doing? Like, it's so rough, it's so hard, right? So they've opened their minds to such depth. That will always be the, the default state for the rest of their life because of, of the allowance of, of brokenness that their mind has experienced. And it, will, it can't be filled, it's just dark. So they're, they're downs, they're not downs, they're existential experience is, is mu that much darker because of a time in their life where it was opened at that level that makes it so strong and so in tune with their full emotional state. So for them, another discussion could be had where they can discuss the personal previous past experiences that they've had in regards to the existential questions, although at the core, they're just existential questions happening now, right? So you could say that 
um, that traumatic experience or that wonder of being that came about through harshness of nature, that experience can be healed. But the, the questions that are had at that experience are, are going to be there because there's no, there's no healing existential questions because there, there's there are things we struggle with to the moment we die. And those answers never get perfect. And since the, the avenue was opened, it's purposeless to, to try to heal, um, heal unanswerable questions. We want to answer them. Now we could act and it's important to act like we don't have a question so we could be functional. So bring it a, being in a depressive state for two, three weeks in a, in a darkness is never the, the solution because there's a, at some point they need to act as if life is okay. And once they act it, they'll feel as if life is okay. Now it won't be the grandest feeling because it's still not at the core of their self. What, what really needs to happen is they, they find some meaning in that sadness. Now, apparently two weeks wasn't enough for them to find meaning or they're so committed to the, to the darkness that they're not interested in answering the question anymore. And that's, that's, that's evil. I'm sorry to say, I mean, it's, it's really difficult when someone's in depression, but it's embracing evil, right? The difference between the evil and the righteous, they're both in darkness, but one is looking to find an answer in the darkness, and one is deeply um, in, in love with the darkness and, and integrates their identity for that. And there's, there's no answering because there's no questions, because... It's a belief system deeper than the questions, and that's a real darkness. And I hope those who, who follow, and I'm using a strong word again, follow a wicked path such as this of embracing darkness, need to revisit those questions that brought them to the darkness and to seek answers. Now that first step out of seeking answers is really difficult because there's no reason to seek answers if everything is hell. But they they should be so committed to goodness that they're willing to seek answers or at least be available to the questions that they have. And and that's why evil and good become the fabric of of all value. Because at the end of the day, it's choosing good and evil itself without any rationality. Because the reason they chose hell was only because they've embraced the evil. At the, at, there was rationality, the questions, the answers, so on and so forth. But at some point, they've let go of the questions and answers. Hence the two-week depression. And then they're in that depression that's so dark and they've embraced evil just because no other reason just because not because they're comfortable or because this is the status quo but because they found this to be 
the best way to experience life. So they've chosen evil. It was subconscious, but they've chosen it. And choosing good is, is making that choice and, and, and saying, even though there's no answers and, there's, and I'm not even aware of the questions anymore, it's become so dark, I'm going to attach myself to good, which means that I want good, whatever good is. Not that there's, um, not that there's an understanding of what good is, because again we're past rationality. Just that I want the notion of good as opposed to the notion of evil. Now, somewhere in our psyche, we understand that good means to not be in darkness, to be in light. Good means to be away from darkness, distance from darkness. And bad is to be in the, in the, the essential, the central part of darkness. So good and evil are naturally in our, in our psyche are naturally, and this is my argument, is naturally good in our darkness and light. And the only reason a person will choose Good over evil is because they want lightness. They want light. They want to be in an experience of something expanding and not repressing. And the one who wants darkness, they want darkness. They want to be repressing, repressing, and and they don't want it to. Right there, there is there is a goal out there to to. To, to compress and then in order to expand again, but they want just for the sake of destruction, right? So you can say that light is the expansion and, and, and darkness is the compression. And if a person chooses, an individual chooses compression over expansion just for the sake of itself with no ulterior or an uh, eventual plan, they... They believe that the world and themselves should be destroyed versus the one who believes in expansion believes that the world and themselves should expand and develop. And that's the definition of good and evil. And we can't disassociate those terms. We can't, we might translate the word good into a different notion, but in our psyche, we understand fundamentally that expansion is the form of good and compression is the form of bad and the evil minded will say that that is good to compress but i guess we're going to have to go objectively at this point and say that compression is bad now if we're so evil minded that we've we're starting to say that good is compression and bad is expansion then we need to revisit what good and evil is. And this is this is a sad experience of the of the darkness where we can't even we can't even translate good and evil anymore. But there needs to be a form of trust or belief that good is expansion and bad is compression. 
good is is developing and bad is destroying. We can come to a place where we believe that destruction is good and development is bad, although we've we've gotten to a place of also embracing evil. And therefore we're but the fact that we care so much to say that that is good means that we still do care about the definition of good. Meaning if we're saying, okay, it's evil and we're embracing evil, but we're not saying that we're saying it's it's good and we're embracing good as if it's good even though it's evil. Right? So we care, right? You see where the, the mind trip, we care about being good versus evil, although we've translated good as compression and bad as expansion. So just in the notion of caring about good and evil deserves our attention about what is the definition of good and evil. So we're, we're intrinsically bound to the translation of what is good and evil because we care about good and evil. And if we care about good and evil, then why do we care about good and evil? Is it because of the good itself or the fact that Good is expansion, and we care about expansion. Because if we didn't care about expansion, then we would never be able to exist. If we got to a place where we fully did not care about expansion, we would just cease to exist. We would do everything in our power to destroy our existence. So we, tr even though we don't realize that we're translating good as expansion, and even, even though... Consciously, we'll say that good is compression. Um, compression. It's 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 the destruction of things. We still we still fundamentally believe that good is expansion because we care about good, and and I'm telling you that good is expansion. And anybody who recognizes it at face value will see that good is expansion. Now, there's could be that denial, and right because I'm telling you, or I'm saying it's an objective fact. But remember that good is only a word that labels something. So what is good labeling? So if good is labeling compression, then why does the person care about good or being good, right? They, they, they feel they need a label, compression is good, destruction is good. Why do they feel they need a label of that? Why do they care about the, the labeling action if only because they realize that they're they're using they're doing a fallacy by labeling the wrong thing. Because if they didn't, they would ignore the idea of good and evil. It wouldn't matter to them. Because they care, it means they're they're looking to relabel something. We have to ask them what what they're trying to relabel. Again, this is this is deep, but the point is the conclusion is that not to reach not to go overly confident but at the same time not to not to be overly dramatic so there's that balance and that's where the the righteous path lies thanks for listening and if you would like to see the video version of this check out my channel on youtube